0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Seems like it's been doing pretty good this morning. It's good to be here. My name is Wesley Hutchins. I'm a North Carolina reject. Uh, I'm a Jamaican reject. George is trying to reject me. And uh, I don't know about the West yet, they just probably had not got a hold of the thought yet. But it is good to be here. We love your pastor, his family, their, his kids are like grandkids to us. I told somebody we have more grandkids than anybody in the United States does. Because uh, we claim all these missionaries' uh, kids as grandkids. Some of them real grand, some of them needs to get grand. Amen. I'm kidding. Uh, we thank the Lord. Last week we had orientation school. Over in Buffalo, Wyoming, had 18 families to come uh, from Utah. We had from Utah. We had them from Washington. We had them from Oregon. We had them from North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Missouri, or misery as I call it, uh, scattered all over the place and had one missionary, uh, our son, I think he's about 10 years old, 11, trusted Christ as his personal Savior, Amen. one night. And we just had a good time. Uh, We were talking about birthdays. Uh, Sister Hutchins and I on the 23rd of this month. Uh, We'd be married 58 years. So you know I don't look that old, but uh, we'll be 58 years. And the Lord's blessed us with five kids. We got four boys and a girl. If our daughter had been born first, she wouldn't have four brothers. Uh, That's what I told her. And she didn't believe me until her daughter was born. And I prayed that she'd be just like her mama, as she is. So now she's figured it out why I said uh, I said that about her. But uh, we were in Jamaica. I tell you, is anybody ever been to Jamaica? Well, Jamaica's about 90 mile from the south point of Cuba to the north point. I guess you say of Jamaica. The island's supposed to be a safe about 59 mile long, 50 some mile wide, and. Uh, they say there's 2.7 million people on the island, which I think they're about a million short because there's a place there called the Cockpit Country. They have no electric. They have no running water. And on the map, seriously, they have on the map, Jamaican map, you know come, we no go. And uh, I've been in a town called Mandeville up in the mountains, and the men would be coming down the street from that uh, village, wherever they were. From the Cockpit Country, and they'd be wearing their grass skirts. And uh, there's white people went in there that's never come out. Uh, so I don't know if they ate them or sold them on the uh, craft market or what. But uh, that's the places that you you're just not welcome. But uh, we were there for 26 and a half years. Uh, I took a church with another missionary when I first got there for him to take emergency furlough, and uh, he was running about 60. Uh, no visitation, no bus route, and I'm not being really critical, but uh, I didn't go to Jamaica to sit at the house and watch TV six hours a day. That's about all it was on. Uh, I went to work, so I took the church, and we started a visitation program. First Saturday, I had uh, 15 teenagers out knocking on doors in the bush. We weren't no town. We was in the bush. Now, I've got to tell you this story. Now, this is my first experience on visitation at that church. And I was going through the bush, and I saw this man swinging a machete. I said, oh, man. So I was going to be real smart, and I put the two biggest teenagers I had out to talk to him. And I looked in the mirror, man. They was going up back up the road in the opposite direction. Well, I went all the way to the end of the little dirt path and parked my van and started going from house to house. And guess who wound up at this man's house? Me. And he was out in the street swinging that machete and cussing and raving and uh, calling me names. And I uh, walked over to him and introduced myself, but I kept my eye on that machete. And he told me he hated churches. His daddy was a pastor, and he run off with another woman, left his mama, and blankety blank. He was just spilling all this stuff out, and I stood there and listened to him, probably for twenty minutes or so, and then I said to him, uh, "I said I'm pastor in Bethel Baptist Church, and uh, I'm gonna start running the bus route in here." Well, he didn't care nothing about that, but on Sunday morning when I went into Bush to pick up the people that said they wanted to come. He had two of his kids standing at the gate dressed. And uh, the whole time I was at that church, I picked up his kids from the bush and carried them to church. And, uh, but that was my first experience in the bush on visitation, and I didn't know if I was going to leave that day or not. But you have to, and it's the same way here, I think. You've got to win a man's confidence before you're going to ever win him. And many times I went on visitation, I said very little about the church, very little about the Lord, because I wanted to win their confidence before uh, I'd ever win them. There's a guy by the name of 76-year-old Catholic guy. Uh, He was in England like 40 years, worked on the railroad in England, retired him and his wife. She worked at a hospital. And his wife... Come to the church, and she'd gotten saved in England, and she was faithful to the church. And I had about four ladies made this comment, Pastor, you'll never get my husband in church. I said, with your attitude, we probably won't. So uh, I'd go visit this man, and I'd have to listen to all the stories in England. I wasn't really interested in them, but I'd listen for hours. And then it got to where I would say to him, Mr. Ellison, a stick of pen up right there. We'll come back to that in a little bit. And then I would start witnessing to him. And he told me this. He said, I was, I was born a Catholic. I will die a Catholic. And I'll go to heaven because I'm a Catholic. I said, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I said, you're trusted in a denomination instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was having a revival. And I said, sir, would you come to the revival one night? I would not dream of asking you to come in five nights. Would you come one night? Yeah. So on Monday evening, his wife said about four o'clock, he went to take a shower. He said he never takes a shower at four o'clock. Said, well, what are you doing? And I don't know why he said it this way, but according to her, he said, I promised that old preacher. I thought I was still pretty young at that time. <laughs> And I'd come to the revival one night, so I'm going to get it over with. When I got there that evening with the bus route, he was standing outside his gate waiting to get on the van to go to church. Folks, this man came for the next two years. If he wasn't sick, he was in church. He could quote more Bible than anybody in my church, but he didn't know how to apply it to his everyday life. And so he would complain about different things, and, but he just kept coming. And one Sunday night, I don't remember what I preached, but he got up. He was sitting on the back, the second pew back on the right of the pulpit. And he came to the altar, and the platform wasn't quite this high. By the way, this is beautiful. All this was done since I've been here. It's beautiful. And so he came, and I said, Mr. Eldridge, can I help you? He said, Where's that verse? That says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He knew that verse, but he again didn't know how to apply it to his life. So I sat down on the front pew, and I took the Bible, and I went to that verse, and I explained it to him, and he bowed his head and asked the Lord to come into his heart and to save him. For the next two year, two and a half years, he rode the bus every Sunday morning, Sunday night, I'd drop everybody else on. i to run about three or four routes, and I'd drop them off, and then I would go to pick up other people, and he'd always ride with me. But when they didn't come, he'd ask me this question. Why do you keep stopping, wasting your fuel at these houses, and they never come? I said, because you never know when one of them is going to come, and they'll get saved. And I got a call one night. He would gotten sick, and they carried him to the hospital. And uh, nothing major, but something went wrong, and about midnight, he passed away. And they told his wife, and she started screaming, because I was here in the States on furlough, and started screaming, I want my pastor. Well, the guy that was filling in for me says, I'll be there in the morning. He just kind of pushed it aside if I'd been there at 12 o'clock at night, I'd have got up and I'd been to that house because I was their pastor. And but he said, I'll be there tomorrow. She said, I don't want him. I want my pastor, Pastor Hutchins. So they called me and I got me an airline ticket and I flew back to Jamaica and preached the man's funeral. And that's what being a pastor, I've always taught my people on the mission field, you need to decide if you, and when we get ready to nationalize the church, are you, do you want a preacher or a pastor? And they said, What is the difference? They both preach the Bible. I said, But a preacher, in my opinion, and I saw this over the years many times, a preacher will be here Sunday morning, and he'll be here Sunday night, and he'll be here Tuesday night, and he gets his pay. You'll see him no more till the next Sunday or the next Wednesday. And then his possibility he'll go somewhere else. And won't be here. If you want a pastor, you want somebody that when there's a sickness, you'll be there. When there's a death, he's there for you. And when you need a counseling or some help, he's there for you. And that's the kind of pastor I tried to be for all those years. Uh, it's not safe in places in the daytime, much less at night uh, in that country. And I've gotten up in the middle of the night, different times at night. And went to the hospital, carried people to the doctor, carried people to the hospital, been there for them. I said, now that's what a pastor is. And I want to say this to you. If you got good hearing this morning, and I think you already know this, God has given you folks a pastor. And a great pastor. Not because he's from North Carolina, probably because who he's married to. (laughs) I'm just kidding there, but it, it helped, me this system. sister? Yeah. Because they push us sometimes when we don't want to be pushed. I remember one time I, had this, I was working, and I was about as high as that top of that wall on the scaffold, putting in windows. And I asked my people if they would come and sit on padded pews that I had shipped down. And if I dropped my screwdriver or I dropped a wrench or, or a hammer, they'd put it in a bucket and a rope, and I'd pull it back up. Nobody would come. And I was up there that day, and the devil didn't only jump on this shoulder, but he was on both of them. And he was stomping me down. And I said, Lord, as far as I'm concerned, everybody can go to hell. I'm going home. And I weren't talking about in Spanish town. I was talking about America. And I went home, and my wife said, What's your problem? And uh, I told her what I just said and what I was going to do. And she looked at me and kind of smiling a little bit, not a whole lot. And she said, go get some boxes and I'll go to packing. Now you know what I did? I got my truck and went back, went back to work. I needed that push from her that day. But this day I was up there and nobody would come. And I was mumbling to God, complaining. If you never complain, don't try it because you ain't going to win. And... Uh, all of a sudden, I heard somebody call my name, Pastor Hutchins. I said, who is that? I didn't recognize the voice. So I came down off the scaffold, and there was a guy by the name of Donald that we had led to the Lord in 1985. And I said, Donald, what are you doing here? He said, I'm heading to work. I work for this city bus company. I do the electric on the buses. And I saw your van here, and I just wanted to tell you I love you. And I'd say hello to you. Oh, my head swelled just a little bit, Pastor. Somebody does care about you. Well, I got back up, and I hadn't been up there 15 or 20 minutes, and I heard somebody say, Pastor Hutchins is a lady. I looked down, and two of the young ladies that had gotten saved at the first church that we pastored was standing in the church. And I said, what are you ladies doing here? Well, Pastor, we're heading to Spanish town, And we saw your van, and we just want to stop by and say hello and tell you that we love you. You couldn't have knocked me off that scaffold. And that's what Christian church people are supposed to do. When you think your pastor's down, push him just a little bit in the right way. Let him know that you love him. Because the devil tells us that nobody loves us, and nobody cares. But I thank the Lord for the 26 and a half years that I was there. We took four of our kids there. And uh, uh, the, the fourth church, I understand, is not going anymore. It was in a, a real, a lot of dope kingpins lived in there. Uh, we started, Spot Valley Baptist Church was the last one just outside of Montego Bay. And the, one day I was visiting by myself. And a guy pulled up beside of me, in front of me, driving a Mercedes. And he reached behind his seat. And he didn't reach back there to get a Pepsi. He reached back there to get his gun. He was going to shoot me. And I knew that. And he says, what are you doing? And he was a dope guy, dope pusher. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm Pastor Hutchins. Just started Spark Valley Baptist Church over here in the school. Just out inviting people to church. Here, let me give you some tra- tracks. So I handed him a brochure and some tracks. And he threw it up on the dash and Took his hand out from behind the gun, or uh, behind the seat, and drove on off and left me. Uh, but he reached back there. He thought I was somebody that was watching for the drugs coming in and out of that place. And he was fixing to shoot me. But let me tell you this. They can't shoot you unless God gives them permission. I know. I've had the gun put to my head twice in church. And once on the street, a guy was going to shoot me and David Finley, another missionary that was there. And uh, I guess my North Carolina come out in me when he told me he was going to kill me. I grabbed him by the throat and told him, I'm going to shove that gun down your throat sideways. Now get out of my face. (laughs) And Brother Finley was standing behind me. Wesley, he's got a gun. Wesley, he's got a gun. And I shoved him aside. I went in what I was purchasing. I got him fired, or he got himself fired, really. But he's going to shoot me. Well, we went in, paid for what we was buying, and come back, and I gave him a drop-dead look, got in my bed, and left. But that night, he killed the man that fired him. Went to his house, called him out of the house, and shot him right between the eyes and killed him. And I told David, I said, if I had not have grabbed him by the throat, me and you both would be dead today, because that guy was one bit out of shape. If I can talk to you for just a few minutes about something that bothers me, I thank the Lord that I'm American. I thank the Lord I was born in America. But I also thank the Lord for letting me live in a third world country for 26 and a half years. One thing that it did for me, it made me appreciate America. Donnie Whitlock, I don't know if you ever knew him or not, he told this at orientation school one year. He said, when I came back from... uh, uh, Indonesia the first time and I saw Oh Glory, he said I fell on the ground and kissed the ground because I was back in America well that's the way I felt when I came home the first time after five years or so, uh, well, I think I did come home one time between that for my mama's surgery and uh, when I get to America and we had spent a year here When I got off of the Air Jamaican flight going back into Kingston, the first thing I looked for was the Jamaican flag. I I, I felt this way. God sent me here, and I need to reverence that flag. It's not my flag, it's their flag. And they need to know that I was standing. When they say their, I don't remember all the words they say about the Anamato, but I. I would reverence it just like they did. And I was told this by some Jamaicans that you're the only missionary that's ever come that that has really accepted us and act like us. Now that's not a good comment, I don't guess, on some, some turf anyway, but uh, I'm glad for serving. But I'm concerned about America. I, I know this for a fact. I, uh, as there's no honest evaluation our country can take today without realizing that we're in perilous times, as the Bible tells us. We're in the last days. and the, We know the, what's going to happen to the church. Uh, the church is, is going out, and I uh, don't know when that's going to happen, but I know God knows. He said that the, we know, know the day or time that He's coming, I used to think about the scripture where it talks about the thief coming in the night. Have you ever had a thief to come to your house at night, and you're laying in your bed? Mm-hmm. They took the wheels off of my Volkswagen swinging truck sitting on my carport uh, one night. They started taking them off again, sitting in my front yard one night. We had one of our church buildings broke into. They pulled all the wire out of the wall, took the breaker box, took the breakers, the light sockets, the light bulbs, the whole nine yards out of one of our churches. And they didn't do that while I was there. I asked one of the thieves one day, I said, why don't you come while I'm here working? Oh, no, Pastor, you kill us. We wait till you go home and then we come get what we want. They took the roof off of one of my buildings. And uh, so I know what it is when a thief comes at night. He either comes to steal or to kill one of the two. And that's the reason we're, uh, one of the reasons we're back in the States. They came to our house to kill us. So we had to leave. Uh, They gave me a choice, the government did, the police department did down the road from us. You can stay and die or you can leave and live. Well. Uh, I knew my wife would marry an ugly man the next time, so I figured I'd better leave, amen. <laughs> but i am not got a good brain anyway. They tell me I'm dangerous. But, but I think of what it's going to be. we know this what's going to happen to the church. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture that I like anyway, I love it anyway. We love all the Scripture. We should. But it's John chapter 14 when he said, Let not your heart be troubled. I believe he's talking to us that are saved. But if we do let our heart trouble us, there's times that things come up and we're not sure and it bothers us real bad. But he said, let not believe in God, believe also in me. I remember the night that I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I had made a profession uh, when I was about 10 or 11 years old uh, there's a guy in the church that we went to, Bobby Watts, pastors that now in East Bend, North Carolina, Mount Bethel Baptist Church. Donnie Hobson and I—we liked to fight. We were good friends, but we still like to fight. And we had a homecoming dinner on the ground on uh, a Sunday, and on Sunday evening, me and Donnie was out there scuffling and fighting, and carrying on. And I picked up a fork, uh, and that was before they come out with plastic, I guess. So that might tell my age too, but. Uh, plastic fork, uh, a real live fork, and I stabbed him in the shoulder with that fork. Well, they jerked me and him, and Barney Hunt set us on the front pew of the church and the revival, and the preacher looked at us and said, if you boys don't get saved tonight, you're going to hell. You would have thought we had joined the Olympics diving board because we all dived in the altar, and I don't remember what I said or what they said, but we mean Donnie goes outside and gets in another fight, uh, and so then I had some bad experiences with a couple of preachers in my town, and I said, if that is a Christian, I won't know part of it And When I started dating Miss Evelyn, the only way I could date her would go to church with her when she went to church. So we went to church on a Saturday night and on a Sunday night, and so I said, "This girl's kind of weird, she goes to church all the time so uh, then uh, all of a sudden, I fell in love with her. And, and today, I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her testimony, for living for the Lord. Because she was saved, but she was in a church that didn't teach no separation. Well, then I got my own business, and I started a truck stop in Booneville, North Carolina. I had 32 18-wheelers. I kept all changed in, washed them, and done minor repair work on them. And uh, then one of this lady traded with me, bought gas at a gas station, and uh, I was talking. Jumped to her, and she let me know that she was a Christian. I said, "Yeah, I met them before." And anyhow, she wanted to date, or this truck driver wanted to date her, and he, I, I got her talked into dating him. The second time they went out to eat, she led him to the Lord, and he he wanted me to get saved. I said, "I don't know part of it." and I'd go home at night and go to bed and my bed would be on fire and I'd jump out of the bed cussing and raving because the bed was not on fire but in my mind it was and Evelyn she would just say all you need to do is get saved oh shut up I don't want to hear that told her many times that but I promised him I'd go to church with him one night they was having a revival at a Methodist church over in the mountains so I said I'll go but if you ever mention it to me again I will shoot you And so I went to the race that Sunday evening and uh, come back home and I knew he was always late, but he showed up at my house and he refused to go to church because I wasn't going. And I said, I'll go, but if you ever ask me again, I'll shoot you. And so I went, It's a little church, had about six pews, uh, two deacon benches, a little piano, a little organ, and that was it. And that place was packed out like that room back there, they opened up classrooms and they set me right straight in front of the pulpit. <clears throat> that preacher preached, he named every sin I had ever committed and those that I was going to commit except shooting the truck driver when it was over. And that night I got under Holy Ghost conviction. I was choking, I couldn't breathe, my heart was pounding and coming out of my chest. And I made a comment something like this, I don't have to listen to this, I'll just leave. Well he gave invitation after about three hours preaching, seemed like, I don't know how long he preached. But anyhow, I got up and I'm glad again today that the Holy Spirit of God is stronger than the power of Satan. I started to leave and the Holy Spirit turned me around and I went to altar, my little boy Seven years old, Wesley Jr., looked up at his mama and said, If Jesus can save my daddy tonight, well, he saved me. Well, we both got saved the same night. And just a few weeks ago, May the 10th, matter of fact, he called me and he said, Pop, do you know what today is? I said, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day. No, 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 Pop, it's our birthday. He said, We've been saved 50 years today. But I haven't been the same haven't been all what I want to be. So I'm not really getting a whole lot into the message uh, that I wanted to share with you, but I'm just sharing my heart this morning. But in verse 2, he said, In my father's house are many mentions. If it were not so, I would have, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and, and receive you unto myself, wherever you may be also. I like those verses. Uh, it's comforting, but it's, it's telling me that He's coming back. Don't know the day, don't know the hour. So, as I've said many times, if you know the thief's coming to your house, you're not going to bed. You're going to set up and wait on him. But there's one more verse that I like. Titus two thirteen says, "Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ." I remember when I first got saved, I was so excited. And I'd drive down the road and I'd look at a cloud because I'd heard the preacher say he's coming back on the cloud. I said, is that going to be it? I thought he was coming back the next day or two. He hadn't come back yet. But does that mean I don't believe he's coming? I believe he is coming. But I at least want to hit the first point that I want to give you this morning. Let us go into the heart and the crisis that we are in in America today. Is it political? Oh, we got political problems for sure. Is it the economy? Yes, we have economy problems today. Is it socialism? Yes, we have a socialism problem in America today. But that is not the real problem. What is it? I'm going to tell you. It's a spiritual crisis that we're in today. When I was in Bible college, anybody besides your pastor ever heard of Dr. Harold B. Seitler? Greenville, South Carolina, Tabernacle Baptist Church. Well, I used to travel with him for three years. I drove him to his meetings and his senior saints rode with the bus, on the bus. But one night I drove him in his car and we went to church and he walked in. And he asked the pastor, Dr. Cypher had a deep voice. and He asked the pastor, he said, where's your prayer room at? And this is what the pastor replied to him. We don't have one anymore. The people didn't want to pray. So we don't have a prayer room. If you go to Tabernacle Baptist Church and go out of the main auditorium down the hall, there's a door to the left, goes up the set of steps, make a left and go to the back classroom. There is the prayer room for Tabernacle Baptist Church. I've been in there many times when Dr. Seidler would come in and kneel beside of me. And I felt like I ain't on the floor being there trying to pray beside Dr. Harold B. Seidler. But I thought that was just the one-time thing that they had no prayer room. And that prayer room at Tabernacle never closes. Anytime that building is open, you can go to that prayer room. And it used to be full on Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night. But, you know, I found traveling across America, and I don't mean to be negative, but I'm just going to be like what I'm finding. I find very few churches that have a prayer room, or I call it the power of, room. And, and that's one thing I've seen that's been taken out of a lot of our churches. So we need to get back to praying. It's a spiritual crisis. The first thought was it's the responsibility. I think about this. Responsibility must begin with God's people. He said in 2 Corinthians 7.14, if my people which are called by my name I shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. When I first got saved, I read that verse. It just didn't make sense. It didn't make no sense to me. I thought when a person got saved, they got over their wickedness. Boy, have I learned something in the past in the last years. Some of the most wicked people I pastored in the country of Jamaica was people that professed to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'd steal their mama's light bulb out of the socket if they needed one. I mean, they were some wicked people on that island. But we think about this. They call by my name. and Accept their responsibilities. We as Christians have a great, great responsibility. I, I in Jamaica, I uh, I had a a, a building and had no Sunday school classrooms. At one time, we rented a house, had four or five Sunday school classrooms in it, and <clears throat> and so but. When at church, the ladies would be on the inside of the building, and the men would be out in the grass and dirt beside the building. About 25 or 30 of us on their knees praying every evening before service, praying every Wednesday night before service, and when we had revival every night. And when we started there, I went there in October of '85. When I went to uh, Newtown Baptist Church and we started having the prayer meeting outside, the street was about as far from here uh, to my wife from the building. And the men would be on their knees in that grass or dirt praying. And people would walk by, and this is what they would say on the street. The white man has got the Jamaica mine on his knees. I could see, have you ever seen a black person be embarrassed? I have. It embarrassed them, but they weren't going to get off of their knees until I did. And they kept on, and it wasn't long that they, those same people would come by and they'd say, shh, they're praying. What we did, we won their confidence that we wasn't out there for a show because the ladies was inside praying and the men was outside praying. <clears throat> and we did that for all them nine years that I was at that church, if it wasn't raining, if it was raining we didn't get much rain, we'd be inside but we'd still pray. There was one time when I took this church, they had more problems than they had Jamaicans on the island. Kind of joking about that. We had a bunch. And I was, I was through. I said, now, I'm not putting up with this mess, being threatening and all this stuff. And God said, if you don't pray, you're not going to make it. Well, on Sunday night, I announced this. I said, folks, starting tomorrow night, don't know how long it's going to last, but we're going to meet every night at 7 o'clock for prayer. Now, this building was concrete. We had boards uh, on blocks for, for seats, I think, at that time. I might already have already built them some pews. But anyhow, we had to have about 20 to 25 people come every night. That prayer meeting lasted 14 weeks. Every night we was praying. Well, some people left the church. Hallelujah for that. And then some got right and, and got in there and started uh, criticizing everything and started to happen out. But I had dismissed a couple from the church. I called her with another man. It's, her husband was worked at the sugar factory, and he was stealing rum, selling it to teenagers. And I was witnessing a bunch of teenagers on the street, inviting them to church. And one of them says, Pastor well, I don't have a real problem with you that says well, you, we won't come to your church. I said, why? And they told me that this man was stealing rum and selling it to them. Well, I called a business meeting immediately dismissed them from the church. I said, you can come, but you can't do anything. Well, they put a bounty on my head. On Tuesday night, the week I was on my way to church and a man stopped me. that didn't come to church said, Pastor, be careful because someone said today if they could have you killed and not go to prison, they'd have you killed. I knew who it was. So, Pastor, before I went to church, I went on visitation. I went to his house. Him and his wife and his daughter and his son came out and his, him and his wife was cussing me and calling me names. And I just looked at him and I said, Mr. Reed, I just come to tell you, you couldn't kill me if you wanted to. And I got my truck and went on the prayer meeting. I was kneeling in front of the altar. All it was was a, a, a two by six or a two, one by six on a with legs on it. It was the only altar we had. And one of the deacon's wife was pregnant, and she was sitting in the back of the church. And I heard the motorcycle came in or come in. And after service was over, I heard the motor- motorcycle leave, and after the prayer meeting, she said, Pastor, I wanted to scream. but says, he was pointing a gun at you, and if I screamed, I was afraid he'd shoot me too. He got on the motorcycle and left. Thursday night, he was back on the concrete, and one of the things that I can still see in my mind is the tears From those 20 or 25 Jamaicans around that little altar where they're shedding tears on concrete praying for their church. On Thursday night, I heard the motorcycle again. We kept praying. He came in the front door. According to her, I didn't look up. We were praying. And he stood behind me with his pistol and listened to us pray for a few minutes. And when a Jamaican don't want anything else to do with you. They call it flinging you off. And they say, chuh! And that's it. They don't want nothing else to do with you. He stood there and listened to us pray. And that's what he said, Chuck! And Stuck the gun back in his trousers and got on the motorcycle and left. Fourteen weeks. It turned our church around in many ways. Some of the devil was still fighting us but listen, I'm glad I'm American. If we need to do anything at all this morning as a child of God is take the responsibility that God has given us and stand up, let people know that you're a child of God and that you have a great church and a great pastor and a great pastor's family. Uh, When he left Macedonia to be your pastor, I told him then, and I t- I've told him since, he might not be with Macedonia directly, but he always be part of Macedonia World Baptist Mission as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And that's the way I feel about my guys. They do what they, God's called them to do. But if we as Christians don't let people know that we are a Christian, we are in trouble. And we are in trouble anyway. Because like I said... We don't pray, like he said in 2 Chronicles, and turn from our sinful or wicked ways. says we will. We hear from heaven we can have revival. I, I hear people talking about want revival all the time. I've got a message I preach. Uh, I've preached at a time or two in Jamaica. We're having revival there. Uh, what is a revival? Do you want a revival? And that's where it's going to start. You've got to want it before you're going to get it. And my wife can read my mind. When I want peanut butter cookies, she reads my mind. I gotta make him some peanut butter cookies. And I come in the house, Brother Haley, you eat her peanut butter cookies. And this terrible odor is in my house. I said, What are you doing? She said, I'm making cookies. I said, They stink. You don't want to feed them to nobody. I better sample one of them because we don't want to kill nobody. After a dozen of them, I say, yeah, I think they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're all right. But if we had just come to God and put our lives and our hands in Him, everything is going to be alright. But we need to take that responsibility. There's a couple of other points I didn't touch on, but I just want to share some of the things that happened in Jamaica. Three of the churches are still going. Uh, one of them I kindly wrote off. They changed their Bible. And I told the pastor, I said, when you change your Bible, I will break fellowship with you. And he's the one that got mad. Well, I don't know if he got mad at me. He never did ask me to come back. Cell phones can be a blessing or a curse. And everybody got cell phones. And I went to preach a revival for him and gravel ground Baptist church. And his wife wouldn't stay in the building. She was running in and out talking on her phone. The phone was ringing while I was trying to preach. His kids was running in and out. people I mean, it was just chaos. And I looked at him, and uh, his name was Lord, uh, David Lord. I said, Pastor, you can forget having revival in this church. I said, you can't even keep your own wife in the building longer enough for me to preach. For some reason, I never did go back. I had a problem figuring that one out, but I knew what it was. Because God couldn't work when we don't want him to work. But he'll work if we let him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.